Today on the show, I have Dr. Eric Youngman, who is an education leader passionate about topics such as homework, growth mindset, grading, and leadership. Published books he's written include The Magic of Growth Mindset and 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework, as well as a chapter for 100 no-nonsense things that all teachers should stop doing. He's also written numerous blogs about growth mindset and grading. This is his 21st year in educational leadership. Eric is the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning for Libertyville District 70 in Libertyville, Illinois. Previous education experiences include being a principal in Libertyville, as well as an assistant principal and teacher in Gurney, Illinois. Let's get to the episode. I'm educational justice coach, Lindsay Lyons, and here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-created curriculum with students, I made this show for you. Here we go. Dr. Eric Yellen, welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having a conversation with me today. Thank you so much for being here. I'd love for you to just kind of frame for us, you know, what is it, what is important for listeners to know? I just read your bio, but is there anything else that you're kind of wanting people to keep in mind or wanting people to know about you before we jump into our conversation today? I'm the assistant superintendent of teaching and learning in Libertyville, Illinois. I'm the author of two books, 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework and the Magic of Growth Mindset. I'm also the father of three daughters. And so when I'm talking about these different conversations, I really like to talk about growth mindset and grading and leadership. But now I look through it at the lens of a father. So how does this impact my junior in high school, my freshman in high school, my seventh grader? They're all daughters. Um, How could this help them? Um, what have they seen that helps me understand through the lens of a student what it's like in the classroom? Um, also, my wife is a speech pathologist in an elementary school, so she works with early childhood students. And so again, when we're talking about initi- initiatives for a school district, I'm also cognizant how are teachers and staff receiving those. Um, and then finally, um, just being a parent, I think that's also helpful as we Um, talk about the clarity of communication. So sometimes we have a plan, um, but sometimes the timing of that communication is not as good as it should have been. And same with the clarity. And so when we're talking about all of these ideas, you know, you can have ideas, um, but when you're going to implement them, I think you need to be aware of how other people are perceiving them and you need to be collaborative. So again, I love talking about growth mindset, grading and leadership, um, but also I try to utilize my experiences as a father, Um, as a husband. And then I started as a first grade teacher, but that was years ago. Um, Now I've been an administrator for 20 years. Um, But again, I think you can learn from every situation of how you could make something better, um, how you could modify the pacing, um, or just get a little bit more collaborative or clear with communication. And I love that you mentioned collaboration in terms of your family structure. You just have so many stakeholder perspectives, just, you know, in your own experience, but then also you have the students and the speech pathologist and and as a parent, you kind of put that hat on. And so that's brilliant when it comes to being able to think through that shared leadership kind of collaborative venture um, into kind of what we're we're talking about today and and leading um, some, some large scale changes. So when you think about 
uh, your dream for education, really like what, what would be the perfect scenario of, you know, um, curriculum and instruction just going beautifully. And I, I often ground this in Dr. Bettina Love's quote about freedom dreaming, right? Dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. So, so with justice in mind, uh, what's that big dream that you hold? A lot of it, I think, focuses on skills that students should have. Um, when we talk about kindness, curiosity, collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, and continuous learning. Um, I joke, I wrote it in one of my books, um, but when I say goodbye to my daughters frequently, I just say be kind, curious, um, and collaborative because again, or creative sometimes too, I just think they need to remember that. When they're going to school, just be kind to people. Um, you need to be curious um, and you need to be creative. Um, but along with those skills, and I really like those skills because those can be connected to what you're learning about, uh, regardless of if you are a early childhood student or a high school student um, or a teacher. Um, so I think those skills, if we can focus on what skills would be helpful, those can kind of frame things. But then when we talk about the learning, um, I really believe that students should construct their own knowledge. Um, but they need to do that with active learning. They can't just passively listen. Um, they need to be able to do something. Um, they need to have opportunities to be resilient problem solvers. If we want our students to go out um, and have a job and a life where they're contributing citizens, they need to be able to work through some of that resilience and they need to be able to problem solve. They can't just always be giving easy activities. Um, they have to be supported um, and be able to solve those problems. Um, also making connections, I think is very important with learning where you can talk about even for social studies, what happened in history. And then you can make connections of why that happened, whose story is being told, what are the implications? Um, and then finally, I think with all of this, uh, my dissertation was on grading and it was really about standards-based grading, but now I've really shifted to talk more about effective grading um, but forget grades. Let's really just talk about it needs to be guided by feedback and reflection um, about some sort of success criteria. So you can be talking to a kindergarten student about science and you can just say the two quality factors that we're looking at are criteria A and B. And if at some sort in the process you're informally walking around and asking them questions, you can empower reflection. And at some point, if the students or yourself are giving them feedback, they then can improve it. Um, I would sometimes read and hear about, you know, ungraded and no grades. Well, eventually to be accountable, you do need grades, but let's focus less on that and really focus on how can we get our students to reflect and how can we provide feedback? And I think right now we're doing some professional development in our school district about engagement. And so it's Kagan um, strategies. And I think the more we can get our students talking to each other, um, and asking those questions, you know, rather than you sitting in the class and you're the only one answering, um, that's maybe one out of 25, we can have all the students talking to a partner. So then we have the engagement and participation of 50%, or we can have them talking in groups of four. Um, but again, the more we can get the students, the more people talking, so they can't hide in our classroom. Um, I think in general, I've probably listed about 10 or 15 things about it, but I think it starts with the skills that we can infuse, we can come back to and build off of. Um, but really, if we're talking about education, there needs to be some sort of academics that needs to be guided um, and opportunities, again, to problem solve, um, but also act on feedback and reflect. 
Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. And actually, I think that aligns perfectly to what I was going to ask you about next. When uh, I've been kind of playing around with the stages of curriculum implementation. So sometimes I'll work with a school or district and they'll say, okay, I want to do this justice-based curriculum thing. And they'll jump right to what I would consider kind of the final stage. So we're kind of revamping lessons and we're pulling in really interesting texts and perspectives. And we don't have any of the foundational things that you just described that are critical to be able to do this work. And so I heard you describe things like student voice, right? And thinking about embedding that student voice and hearing students speak, right? Students talking to each other, getting that curiosity, thinking about how we grade, linking to standards, right? Thinking about that assessment piece and that feedback. And I think those are kind of pillars along the way um, to getting to, you know, affirming student identities through particular texts in the curriculum. I'm curious to know as kind of a district, where do you feel like you are in that kind of progression of stages in, in justice center curriculum? I think with a lot of things, you kind of are at all of the stages at the same time. So I'm looking at your visual that talks about like the first stage is mindset and relationships. And I think mindset is critical. Um, so you have some sort of common vision um, or values or conversation and language. So I think the mindset is important and same with relationships. Um, you have to be able to make people feel like they belong. Um, you need to have empathy. You need to include people. Um, so just at a surface level, I mean, we are we do have a common vision um, and we are really focusing on relationships. The pandemic has been awful, um, but one of the things that it did highlight was the importance of relationships. And I think schools and educators and families we're reminded that that is a critical part. So um, now we're making more time for that and we probably should have before. Um, the next part of choice and voice, um, I think the more we can provide our students with choice, the better. Um, kind of like a parent, you can just say, there's three things you wanna get done. You just give that child the choice of which one they wanna do first. Um, you might want to say, this is a mandatory task you must complete. But once you are done, choose between these or choose how you do it or how the product. So I think that choice is important and same with the voice where um, you need to get that input. The students can't always be making all of the decisions, um, but at times you should allow them to provide feedback. When we're talking about information or initiatives for a school district, a lot of the times it's just easy. Just ask the parents or even ask the students. The students are surprisingly extremely smart. Um, they'll tell you how they see it. Um, we added now two middle school students um, to be on our school board as students. And again, their first day was yesterday, but just listening to them talk, I'm really um, looking forward to their future conversations and input because they're experiencing it right now. Um, the third part was about assessment. I think assessment is critical. I think we've focused a lot on assessing academically and behaviorally, but I think now the bigger focus is how can we support, differentiate, and empower. So not just academics, I talked about, we're focusing a little bit more on relationships now. Now, how can we behaviorally understand how all students are doing to see if we can provide more support? Um, so I really think that differentiation and support is gonna be critical. And then finally, we're talking about affirming student identities and experiences. Um, I think we need to figure out what's developmentally or age appropriate. Um, but really think of whose story is being told or left out. When we're talking about social studies, how can we show and highlight experiences and characters and people in history um, who are different or, or are who similar 
um, to some of the people in our current society, our schools, and our classrooms. And I know Sims Bishop um, worded it well about the mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. So we recently have done some case studies to start talking about that a little bit more in our school district, where again, I think we have to provide these opportunities for our students so they can see themselves and make connections um, with other people that we're learning about. Beautiful. I love that response too, of just being in all the places at the same time. Right. And like, even if you're kind of moving forward in a stage, you're, you're consistently going back and refining. I think COVID is a great example of how many schools and districts have realized the importance of that. And it sounds like you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Super cool. How, how you're kind of tapping into each of those pieces and all that you're doing. I, I think a huge piece for this, and I think you, you touched on this a little bit in terms of like, um, working with the case studies and working with the content in alignment with developmental appropriateness and and, and that kind of thing. Um, there are certainly, I think, mindset shifts that need to happen when teachers or leaders or families even um, are trying to see education in a way that is different than it's historically been done. And so making changes like this, especially large-scale district changes, um, can, be, can be a challenge, can face resistance. And I'm curious to know what mindset shifts you have either seen, helped people through, um, think are important for doing this work. I think ultimately we need to be respectful and really focus on relationships to really enhance belonging. We need to help them understand that there are students in our town, in our state, in our schools um, that we need to connect with and make sure that they belong. So I think you can do that in a variety of ways, um, but also just you know empathy um, and understanding different perspectives and experiences. You can say that you had an experience and that is your perspective, but how can you really value and appreciate and embrace some of those other perspectives that we might not have heard. Um, same with connections. How can we empower connections um, to people's history? You know, what ask them to learn about their family so then they can build off that. So I think connections are important. Um, equitable opportunities. I think we need to be cautious with that word, um, but at the same time, that can be a lens to analyze what we're currently offering. You know, can we make sure that it really is equitable? Um, for everyone. There might be people whose parents are, are less involved um, or who will not provide as much feedback or questions about it, but how can we just proactively support them um, to really get them to perform the best they can? And then finally, you know, we can talk about a lot of things, um, but really how can we, and when we talk about civics too, how can we empower some of that positive change? It doesn't need to be huge and drastic, um, but at the local level, just with involvement or questions or just opportunities, I think ultimately talking about it is great, um, questioning and reflecting it, but ultimately, hopefully it can impact some positive change as well. I love that. Yeah, I think so many times we talk about, you know, preparing students for after they graduate and it's like, well, what can they do now in this moment, right? To be leaders in their communities and have actual authentic opportunities. So we talk about assessment, like, and and like, how can we assess from an academic lens and, and all of that, but also have students make an impact, right, from civic engagement standpoint. So I, I love that point. And just to quickly go back to, I, I know you mentioned um, being cautious, I think you said with the equity term. Can you just say more about that for listeners who, who may not know? I just think it's with a lot of things. Sometimes people will put a word out there and it may not appropriately fit in. Um, but if it's set in the right way for the right purpose, um, or again, just used to, to every now and then, or as one of your areas to look at, I think it can be helpful. Um, but just still, sometimes um, there is terminology that is used incorrectly or used um, 
incorrectly really to leverage an impact. And I think that has a, a larger negative impact when that is used, but without even asking the questions, we should be using that as a lens. How can we think of each of our students? How can we think of the environment and the world that they're growing up in um, just to understand those different perspectives? Yeah, that makes so much sense. I, I just think about how when people are like, yeah, adding equity to some to a practice, for example, or a data analysis tool, and and they're not actually being thoughtful about equity. And it's just like slapping the word on there doesn't make it equitable. And yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, and when we use language to be incredibly precise, I think diversity is another one that I that I often hear uh, misused. Right when we talk about um, I'll, I'll often talk about, you know, I, I worked in a school that was highly diverse and a school that was not highly diverse. One of the highly diverse schools was students from 50 different countries. That's a diversity of countries and not highly diverse is a, a school where 99% of students were, were racialized as black and brown. That's not highly diverse. That's like the same racialization yet people will say, oh, that's a very diverse school, <laughs> right? And so it's like diverse from what? And so this kind of like treating whiteness as this norm that everyone else is deviant from and using diversity in that way is actually counter to what we're trying to do, right? When we're teaching for justice. So I, I really appreciate your call to be precise in our language and intentional um, with that. So, so thank you for naming that. And even with equity, sometimes people talk about equity and diversity. Well, you can't create the diversity. So it might be equity and inclusion, um, yes. But yeah, choosing the correct words. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Um, so in terms of like how we do this, so you you talk a lot about, as you said, growth mindset, grading, leadership. I think you mentioned a ton of different practices kind of embedded in when you were talking about being at all the stages. What are kind of the, these actions that are required to get to the dream you described? What are the things that have been really successful for you as a leader in your district? What are the things that listeners could really learn from you in order to kind of bring to their own spaces? I mean, I think just awareness and collaboration and flexibility and patience are, are the most important because we need to be aware of the experiences of everyone. We need to work together. Um, but at the same time, some people are not ready to make a change and other people want to make an extremely fast change. And so again, I think we need to have a plan, but be flexible with it. And also just patience where it can't be good enough, but we need to continue to make progress and we need to continue to reevaluate um, to just make a bigger impact on our students. I think some of the things we've been doing to do that, um, we do have some district goals this year um, that are helping with that emphasis. Um, we're in the middle of creating a new strategic plan um, where equity was one of the key words that we wanted to focus on. Um, for our values. So that will help guide some of these conversations more. Um, we're talking about different professional development, even if you just talk about equity within academics. Um, we have some different reading professional development happening right now. Um, we're continuing to talk about engagement, like I said, about Kagan. And I think that's important too, because again, it's just enhancing the opportunity and interactions of all the students in the classroom. And so equity sometimes can look different, but it might even just be of participation. Um, I'm sure my three daughters are great kids and they'll volunteer and they'll typically have the right answer. Um, but if one of them is more shy than the other, I still want them to have the opportunity to talk with others. If someone is unsure, I would like them to first be able to talk about it with a partner um, or in a small group and then they might feel more comfortable sharing. So I think some of those, when we talk about equity, I think there's some academic opportunities that we can continue to build on. 
Um, and then also we're doing some work with PBIS where we're looking at classroom and building expectations. And again, um, I know that's another area we can look at within equity um, regarding the equity, regarding the behavior and the consequences and the students that are involved. So um, again, I think there's a lot of areas, um, a lot of areas for growth, but I think we're having a lot of positive conversations to kind of build some momentum. I, and I love that. I'm just trying to think of like diving into a, a topic here. I love that you've talked about the strategic planning process a little bit and like what that kind of looks like, what your goals are. And I also know that grading is a huge area of expertise for you. So I'm curious to know if there's one of those that sounds like you might want to dive in and kind of tell us a little bit about like what that was like. So I don't know if you, you know, where the district was in terms of grading and where they are now and talk kind of about how that process move forward? Like what did, what did it look like in practice to have that collaboration be present? Um, or in the strategic planning process, I'm always interested in like how people are doing that and, and getting stakeholder engagement and collaboration there as well. Um, e either one. Either one. I can talk about both briefly. I mean, for grading, essentially we were looking at standards-based grading at elementary. So because that was a need for our school district, that's what I wrote my dissertation about. But as we implemented it, um, it, it works well for K through five, but again, there's that transition um, of the parents based on their experiences and what they are used to. Um, so regardless what you call the grade, I think it really needs to be backed by effective grading practices. So now to me, it doesn't matter if it's standards-based or not, what are some of those effective grading practices? And so some of the things are not penalizing students with a zero um, that can completely decimate their grade. Um, if you're grading already on a scale from zero to 100, that's 101 um, different options. And that's gonna create some challenges too. But if you give them a zero and you average that with two 90s, you know, their grade is, is an F essentially. And so they don't need to be allowed to redo every activity um, or every assignment or every assessment, but you can provide a process of what they need to do and what they need to reflect. And then they can make up portions of some assignments or assessments, because again, you want them to have the learning and the understanding more so than the grade. And so for those final assessments, don't allow any redos, but building up to that, um, kind of like the athlete, you don't wanna penalize them for practicing um, before their performance. And so I did my dissertation I've been working on it for a long time. I think I finished it maybe five years ago, but even since then I continue to, you know, read literature about it. I really like what Tom Gusky um, says with a lot of his recommendations. Um, but a lot of it is just, you know, how can we also, for example, provide feedback during the learning process? Because if you have an assessment and you give the feedback and you move on to the next unit, they're not acting on any of that. So even if you could provide feedback at half or two thirds through the learning before you give that final assessment, um, that's another option. So I could talk about grading forever. I'm, I'm passionate about it. Um, and I think there's a lot of changes that we can make just to really get the focus on learning. Um, for strategic plan, we're starting to build on one right now where we talked about our values and a mission statement. Um, and then now we're going to be sending out a survey and then including stakeholders in the process. And um, new this year, we'll also be involving um, some current and former students. So I think it's good to get their voice um, in the process as well. Um, and again, the better questions we can ask up front, 
um, that can kind of guide some of our decisions. And I think we really do want to be future focused. Um, if we're talking about preparing students for jobs that aren't even available right now, we really need to think a little bit differently. And that's why I think having those um, core activities or skills um, is really important to build off of as well. I love the idea of including former students too. I didn't even, I haven't heard anyone actually intentionally include former students, but what a brilliant source of ideas and, you know, the student experience than someone who's been through the entire system. I love it. So super cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. And anytime you want to sprinkle in wisdom about grading, happy to listen. So I think that was really, really helpful as well for people who are really grappling with the kind of, do we grade and how do we allow retakes or, or redos? And I love the idea of not penalizing for zeros and not penalizing for the practice, right? Cause like, why would you do it perfectly the first time you ever tried a skill? You wouldn't, right? And so why would we put that on your permanent record? I think that's a, it's a brilliant um, philosophy and, and really grounded in, uh, in, in equity for someone who didn't have, you know, the additional resources, the outside tutoring, all the things and, and gets it perfect the first time because of all those things, right? That's, that's why we do it. So I could also nerd out about grading all day. So I'll move on to my next question, uh, which is, have you faced a, is there a, I'm sure you face challenges. Is there a particular challenge that you have faced in um, doing this work and in, in shifting mindsets around grading, for example, or, or moving through the strategic planning process? Any of this work where you face a challenge and, and you're either in it right now and you want to just describe it and what you're trying or that you moved through and you're able to kind of talk us through how you worked through that challenge? I think it's probably just a lens to look at, which also could equate to a challenge. So developmentally appropriate conversations. You know, what's appropriate for a first or second grade student compared to a middle school student and who's judging that? Um, so I think based on adults' experiences, they may think it's not age appropriate. Well, now some of the students are encountering scenarios at an earlier age. So maybe it wasn't then, um, but to some capacity it is now. And even if you talk about the topic, what language, vocabulary, or depth do you go to, um, which still allows you to talk about the topic, um, but not go quite into depth about it. So I think when we're talking about um, gender identity and equity, I think that's something that's important to think through. I think we need to understand what do our students need to know, um, but also be aware of what um, the thoughts and beliefs are of the stakeholders too, so we can kind of find that alignment. But I think finding and targeting that developmentally appropriate conversations and language is important. And then the other thing is preparing students to live and work in a world that we don't um, know how it is yet. Um, we're preparing them for jobs that don't exist. And so we can think about at this time, they may not need this, but they're gonna graduate high school pretty soon. A lot of them will be going on to college and graduate pretty soon. Um, thinking of my daughter, she's a junior in high school, you know, and six years, she'll be working in another job, um, graduated from college. And so how can we prepare them? Because even as we looked at the pandemic, jobs right now look very different. Um, a lot of people are now working from home, not typically within education, but a lot of the other jobs. And when you do that, you can have those conversations with those people as well about um, how maybe working from home is beneficial for someone who is a veteran who has been in that job for a while, but it might be more difficult for someone new because they can't build those connections. So I just think that's an example of how can we build different skills like collaboration and problem solving and creativity 
because again, we're preparing our kids for opportunities that we could not even anticipate. So the more we can do within our classrooms, within our schools, where the students feel comfortable, um, where they are resilient, where they do learn from failure. Um, again, I try to talk about learning from mistakes and challenges. I don't really talk about failure um, because if we just have a little mistake or a little challenge and we can embrace those and we expect to learn from them, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if we stigmatize it and we're having people be afraid of those, then that's going to be a problem once they are in the real world and do have a job um, because they're not used to making mistakes and learning from them. But if we can just show them that it's just part of the process, um, that's really where the growth happens most. If you just think of any learning that is occurring um, and you're on a trajectory, you're just going to kind of stay on that trajectory. But if you make a mistake, if you have a challenge and you have to think through it, you're then actually going to change some of your thoughts and your strategies. And that's where the larger growth will occur. So I think collectively, um, that'd be my response to some of the challenges and ways to help with the challenges. Just popping in quick to interrupt this episode, saying that the free resource for the episode, which are links to blogs that Dr. Eric Youngman, our guest today has published, can be found on our website. To access them, just go to lindsaybethalliance.com slash blog slash 99. Back to the episode. Tolerance, they have uh, banded standards. So it's like, if they're four categories of standards, they have like K, I don't know if it's K3, K5, you know, it's like the really young kids and then all the way up to high school. And so they, they adapt the standards from um, year to year, band to band. And then also, um, so my background is in intersectional feminism. So um, sex education and K-12 consent standards have been heavily worked on by a few organizations. And so that goes all the way K to 12. Like, what do we, I know you mentioned gender identity, like what do we talk about in kindergarten, right? And so like consent is like a thing that should be part of kindergarten conversation. And maybe you, you don't call it consent or maybe you do, but in, in the, the examples are very, very different from high school. Um, but that concept is core to just being human. Right. And so it's like, yeah, how do we build on these and, and talk about it and not write it off as age inappropriate, right. An entire topic, but like you said, how do we make sure we are directing the information and the examples in a way that is targeted appropriately. So thank you for that. Um, wondering what, as we kind of go to our, our final call to action, I'm wondering what one thing would be that listeners can kind of start doing. So we, we were kind of all over the place in a bunch of different spheres of, of things people can do. And so I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what's the starting point? What would you say would be a, a good place for people to really start and live in alignment with some of the things we've been talking about today, if they could just do maybe one thing when they stop the episode? I usually don't just have one answer. So I still combine a couple, but I think it's, empathetically and reflectively valuing experiences and other perspectives. I think it's important. It's not just your own, but how can you understand others? How can you make them feel welcome? I think maximizing the capacity and capabilities is critical. How can we maximize the capacity of our teachers um, and also of our students? Um, they may have different trajectories, but how can we look at each of their skills and abilities and just continuous improvement, help them to continue to grow. And then finally, I mentioned it kind of in the previous answer, but again, how can we just help people reflectively persevere with a growth mindset? I think we all every day face some challenges and just our mindset about those, about how we can become stronger, how can we reflectively learn from everything? Um, my daughters play a lot of soccer, basketball, and golf, and 
I finally grown up too, as I'm getting a little bit older and I just ask different questions now. Um, it really isn't if they win the game, if, if, if they lose, it's, you know, what did you learn from your opponent? How can you get better? And I think they may have a tough game where they might get less playing time or are frustrated with a certain thing, but how can we build them up so they continue to be confident and understand how they're growing? And that's same with math. They might have one unit that's challenging, um, but how can we help them understand the growth that they've made and where they're improving? So I think that perseverance um, is another part. Yeah, that's such a huge piece. And I, I can never remember, I need to just figure out who this is. I can never remember this example, but somewhere in my, my leadership research at some point came across a company who does like, I think it's a $5 million mistake or something. And they, they celebrate these people who in the company have cost the organization, like at least a million dollars or $5 million or something. And they like put their name up and have this huge celebration because it's like, if you're not doing that, then you're not kind of pushing us forward enough to the point where we're learning and actually growing and, and you're a valuable asset to the team. Right. And so I think that's huge when it comes to growth mindset. It always makes me think of that. Um, I also love the idea of asking better questions, right? I, what a beautiful kind of um, thing that we can try to start doing as a call to action, like a, as a next step, right? How can I ask better questions today? That's just so powerful. I mean, of course, maximizing capacity. I, I think the more you can build capacity in your other stakeholders is the, the better you are as a leader able to do your job, right? And kind of steering the ship and, and focusing everyone and kind of giving people what they need so that you're not just taking the, the entire district and putting it on your shoulders, right? You have this built capacity and everyone's doing better. And research has shown that, that you know, we do better when we have that built capacity. So I, I think in the spirit of learning and growing, and you have said that that is, you know, a, a key piece to this work and to your district's values. I'm curious to know just something for fun that you have been learning about lately. It can be related to your job. It could be totally different, like golf, for example, but anything that is interesting um, that you've been learning about. I talked about strategic planning and the engagement structures. Another one is um, sometimes I'm able to read books before they're published and provide feedback to the author. Um, so I'm reading one right now about assessment and the beginning of it talks a lot about John Hattie's um, effective teaching strategies. And so I think it reminds me basically anything I connect to, I, I, I talk about effective teaching and learning um, and grading and growth mindset, but it's just the reminder that there are some really high leverage instructional strategies um, one of them being feedback. Actually, a lot of them have to do with growth mindset. But I think just for good instruction, good professional development for our teachers, we can come back to that. Because if we're trying to help our students the most, we should understand which instructional strategies have the largest impact. And so, again, it wasn't purposeful. But as I'm reading that, then I'm making connections with that. And same with growth mindset, I present a lot about growth mindset and I try to make a lot of images and I share them out on Twitter just to try to promote some conversation or reflection um, that students ultimately can use. Because when I talk about growth mindset, I know teachers and educators, it's a challenging time. And so sometimes I'll get some pushback when I'm talking about growth mindset and the teachers are going through a difficult year. And so I've purposely the last years just shifted the language to say, how can you empower your students to have a growth mindset. And typically the educators will be modeling that in the same capacity, but I think changing that a little bit um, is also helpful. But I think as we're talking about growth mindset, we can also talk about looking at others. And so I've been reading some articles lately about failure 
and it's hard to analyze your own failure. Um, but if you're looking at the mistakes or challenges of someone else, you can explain it and you're more open about it. So I think the more we can learn about other people's mistakes and talk about it, um, if you're learning um, grammar or math and you provide an opportunity for the students to be the teacher, they can talk about what the mistake was and it's just a larger, uh, more open conversation. So I think really learning from other mistakes is an area I wanna focus more on. And then also just different people within science. We talk about equity, um, but same with resilience. What are some people we can learn from in history, um, people of different backgrounds um, and really learn about how they persevered because the more, if we're just reading a story and we talk about the character, um, or we're talking about someone in history, the more we value and analyze some of their skills and attributes, then hopefully our students can then try to emulate those and learn from those as well. I love that. So I know you mentioned a little bit on Twitter, where can listeners learn more about you, connect with you, see those awesome images and prompts around growth mindset? Where would you direct folks? Connect with me on Twitter at Eric underscore Youngman and it's E-R-I-K. Um, I spend a little too much time on Twitter just trying to learn from other teachers and educators um, throughout the U.S. and the world, actually. And then I do have my own website, um, so ericyoungman.com. I have some of my blogs that I've written. I have probably about 12 blogs up there about grading or growth mindset or parenting. Lately, I've been asked to write about parenting, so I have a couple blogs about that. Um, and then my books are there as well. Awesome. And as a new parent myself, I'm excited to check out your section on parenting. So I will definitely I wrote, do that. I wrote two blogs uh, in the spring. So check them out. Excellent. Excellent. And thank you so much, Dr. Eric Youngman, for being on the show today. I really appreciate all of your wonderful insight. And we will link to all of those pieces that you mentioned in the blog as well so folks can find them. Thank you for your work, Lindsay. I appreciate the questions and your areas of focus because I think they're important for our educators, our parents, and most importantly, our students. Thank you. If you're leaving this episode wanting more, you're going to love my live coaching intensive curriculum bootcamp. I help one department or grade team create feminist, anti-racist curricula that challenges, affirms, and inspires all students. We weave current events into course content and amplify student voices, which skyrockets engagement and academic achievement. It energizes educators feeling burnt out, and it's just two days. Plus, you can reuse the same process anytime you create a new unit, which saves time and money. If you can't wait to bring this to your staff, I'm inviting you to sign up for a 20-minute call with me. Grab a spot on my calendar at www.lindsaybethlyons.com contact. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network, Better Today, Better Tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.